We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This is Cheryl from Jajawarong Country. Festive cheer. Welcome everyone to Beyond 90, the podcast, episode 75, which is a cracker of an episode. So really thrilled to have you listening to us, whether or not you're listening to us on the Joy platform, on Clutch, on Facebook directly or on anywhere else that you can find us, which is Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, all of the above. My name is Cheryl Downs. I'm your host. Together with me, I have Madge and Eric. How are your weeks in football? Uh, eventful. Um, we're just lucky, lucky enough that uh, my weekend away, which I've just come back from, was not so busy that I couldn't watch two and a half out of the four games this weekend. But uh, other than that, I've, I don't know, I've been, been well, enjoyed the action as always, and uh, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, agree. Um, got out to a game. That's always fun. So um, didn't get the result we wanted, but, uh, but you know, football's football and another game next week. And it's always great to sit down and, um, you know, watch a great telecast of the games from the round. Yeah, pretty tough for, not that we'll get into more content around the dub, but for Brisbane, I feel like they're the best team to not have a point or to not have a win. Yeah, I don't, well, surely it can't be anyone else, surely. Yeah, I think, does everyone else have a point? I think everyone else at least has a point. I haven't looked at the ladder, to be honest, but um, yeah, I'd probably agree. So it's like, I'm not disappointed, um, hugely disappointed with the actual performances, but, you know, maybe we can chat about that later in, in the dub recap. All right, let's let's pick up with the rest of the week in football and come back to Dub later on. But first off, just wanted to say it's only a couple of days before Christmas. Wishing everyone a Merry Christmas to those people who've been listening to us. If you don't celebrate Christmas, happy holidays. Uh, just stay, stay safe and well. I think that's the main thing at the moment. Sadly, COVID is still impacting the world in ways that we kind of predict, but then a surprise sometimes. And while we sometimes seem football as a relief from the challenges that we face for the players, it must be remembered that they're away from their family, friends, and in somewhat difficult circumstances. And Chelsea had a moment, and I think Emma Hayes kind of alluded to that a little bit, that the players are suffering stress and anxiety from the environments that they're in and forced to act as professionals or not forced to, but it's their job and we get that. But shout out to them as well. Thanks for the update there as well. Stefan, whilst he's not necessarily on the pod just yet, he will join us later and he's just highlighted that Canberra United don't yet have a point either. So there's a couple yes. of big name clubs who don't have points. But let's talk about episode 75, Cap 75, and we're titling this podcast is Oh Captain, My Captain, a poem which was by Walt Whitman, written about the death of Abraham Lincoln and further immortalised in Dead Poets Society. Apart from the death of a president and whatnot, I kind of feel like it's perfect for describing this week's featured Matilda, Cheryl Salisbury. Matilda's cap number 75, for me, extremely inspirational and we've got a lot of content to get through. But I think for me, Shez was one of the first names that I really associated with football and uh, Cheryl and Cheryl, we've got that connection. I remember interviewing her back 
three years ago, almost to the day when I was working on the women's game and had a terrific conversation with her there. So she's always been really generous with her time. I did reach out to her today to try and come on the pod, but she's on holiday. So have a happy holiday, shares. And this one is about you. So a little bit of detail for people who don't know. So Cheryl Salisbury debuted for the Matildas in 1994. So many Matildas, and I should have counted, debuted in 1994. She was capped 151 times. She captained the team for seven years, and hence the O-captain, my captain. She scored 38 goals, which sounds, you know, not too bad if you're a, a striker across those 151 games, but she was actually a defender. So that's a huge amount of goals and just illustrated the prowess that she had across the ground. And she ultimately retired in 2009, but not before playing at four World Cups, twice at the Olympics. She was named in FIFA's Women's World 11 squad in 2004 and 2007. She was inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame in 2009. In 2017, she was awarded the Alex Tobin Medal the only woman to win that award. And she was inducted into Sport Australia Hall of Fame in 2019. And I just wanted to read for you a little extract from FFA Chairman Chris Niku, who said about Salisbury's contribution both on and off the pitch. He said that it had changed Australian women's football forever. Cheryl understood the potential of Australian women's football and made it her mission to transform the sport she loved so that future generations of Matildas could reach their potential and live their footballing dreams. It's through her example on and off the field or on and off the pitch that we have thriving Westfield W League, now called the A-League Women's, and a world-class national team in the Westfield Matildas. Her legacy to the game continues to deliver dividends for Australian women's football. So for me, I I think it's just they're actually perfect words and I don't know that I can add much more to that. We've got some thoughts and comments from some other people, but maybe um, Madge and Eric, if you wanted to jump in and share a couple of your thoughts. Yeah, well, um, Cheryl, I didn't actually get to see a lot of Cheryl myself, so I probably came to watching the Matildas and women's football a little bit later uh, and sort of just caught the tail end of her career. But I, I guess what stands out to me is that of this this current sort of golden generation, whenever people sort of ask them who their women's football hero was, generally Cheryl Salisbury was was the answer. So she's obviously held um, in great esteem um, with the current star players that we have today um, for the trailblazer that she's been. And I guess also my thought is I always remembered that she was uh, probably one of the trailblazers and actually sort of trying to carve out a professional career playing in Japan and, and the United States as well. Um, sort of, you know, as, you know, women's footballs um, to becoming a, a burgeoning professional, semi-professional to, to professional sport. So providing that uh, example and, and showing uh, so the next generation the the, the potential of, of what could of what women's football could could provide as a, a career path. Um, I think she's been a trailblazer in in many many aspects of her career. Uh, I am a bit late to the Woso party, but one thing I remember, and it kind of relates to your point about her scoring a lot of goals for a defender. It's really my first memory is the 2007 World Cup, which I believe is the first time Australia made the knockout stage of a women's World Cup. Is that right? 
Um, if I smile and nod, it doesn't mean that I agree. It just means yeah, that sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. So anyway, it's one of the times they made a knockout stage. And so it was just like that last group game against Canada. Of course, Australia already needed a lady equalizer from Lisa Devenna in the second group game against Norway. And then they're in stoppage time. They're trailing to Canada. And I think, well, my memories are vague. I think Cheryl Sorsby just got uh, chucked up chucked up front because it was very much kitchen sink time. Scored in the 92nd minute to secure a draw against Canada. Australia go through, Canada go out. And um, yeah, I think she was pretty much ever present at the back during the tournament, that tournament, if I remember. Um, I think Dale and Eric, I think you guys may have actually mentioned it on this pod that Newcastle, that um, sports ground number two, should probably be renamed um, the yeah. Cheryl Salisbury Stadium. Um, so that's yeah. that's that's the yeah, that is our name. Well, Eric, hopefully you can get a hashtag going across, go, getting it viral when you push these things out to um, the public. So just a couple more comments. So from Stefan. His thoughts were that uh, Shez was always leading from the front and is the first Matilda I think of to break through into the wider public consciousness around the team. My own personal thoughts, I wrote them down just because I thought I might um, get a little bit overwhelmed. I actually think that Shez is actually absolutely amazing. So, But her impact on the game has been immense. The players, the fans, as a leader, she was a powerful presence presence and as I said I remember interviewing her three years ago and it's something that sticks to me sticks with me to this day and I think we do quite a lot of interviews in our time as volunteer media and journalists and you don't necessarily remember all of them or you you remember many of them but you don't necessarily remember how they made you feel and you remember the details and I remember that one was shares with was really terrific Dan Warby actually she's a um, longtime friend of the pod and longtime friend of women's football way beyond my time as well so she reflected and said, I interviewed her back when I worked at Sports Hydrant. We talked about her favourite moment and it was the 2007 World Cup, of course, and also probably one of Dan's fave Matilda's moments. And then Heather Reid just commented, she said she was an awesome player and a real game changer in many ways, including challenging regulations that tried to prevent teenage girls from playing in boys' competitions. As a young teenager moving from junior football to youth open age football, she used the Sex Discrimination Act to argue that she should not be prevented from playing with and against boys on the basis that they would not be disadvantaged by her strength, power or speed. I reckon some of the boys would have regretted regretted seeing her play against them. So Shez, from us to you and hopefully all the fans who are out there listening as well, you're a game changer. You're amazing. We love the contribution that you've made. And for the Matildas where they are today, they wouldn't be there without the work that you put in. So Matildas cap number 75. Awesome. Just awesome. All right. Hot topics of the week. The 2021 FIFA FIFA Pro Women's World 11 has 23 nominees. And I think, oh, I can't remember all of them. Sam Kerr's in there. I think, did we get Ellie Carpenter in there as well? Anyone help me out here? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. All right. Yep. 
Cool. So yes, the shortlist. And, and I think the actual, yes, it's the 17th of January that the winners will be announced. So that'll be exciting to see. In other news, it is one month until the Asian Cup. And Madge, I want to give you a shout out here. I want you to give a shout out to the Matilda's active support as well. Yeah. So um, the next thing that we're looking forward to, so uh, keep your eye out. We'll, we'll probably be trying to organise some watch parties. I think at least a couple of the games are at decent time time zones for, for Australia to watch. I think one of them is a bit uh, a bit more in the middle of the night. That might be a bit difficult. But even then, I think um, the, the knockout rounds may have actually been recently changed um, to potentially be a better time zone for us as well. So here's hoping, um, you know, things line up nicely and keep your eyes peeled for um, for some watch parties in your major capital city. Sounds good. This is the actual first Asian Cup that I haven't been to for a couple of instances, so I'm feeling like I'm missing out. I would definitely be there. Um, I'm sure my wife would let me go. I would definitely be there if it wasn't for the impacts of COVID. I think, you know, it'd be terrific to get there. But, um, yeah, really exciting times. And I, I think with Tony Gustafson, the work that he's done together with the team, lots of questions have been asked. Many of them have been answered. Not all of them have been answered. And I think the Asian Cup will definitely see a lot more to come out of that. Traditionally, and I'm not sure if everyone knows or not, but traditionally the Asian Cup is a qualifying tournament for the World Cup. But in this instance, because Australia are co-hosts of the Women's World Cup in 2023 with New Zealand, we actually don't have to go through that qualifying pathway. We still play, but we mm -hmm. don't have the need to win or to come within the top five, I think it is. So it just takes a little bit of pressure off. But to be honest, I actually think there's still a lot of pressure on the Matildas to perform, particularly after the result that they had in the Olympics, which was really quite good. Um, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on them to cement their space at the top of the Asian Football Confederation. Eric, do you have thoughts on that one? I am um, for this will be a new relatively oh well a new feeling for me most of the time um because i will have two horses in the tournament of course and while it may it may reduce the pressure in one sense for with regards to the matildas it's there's just all the pressure on the philippines because i think them if they repeat their sixth place finish from 2018 they are going to their first world cup so yes thing i'd like to point out as well it's um as far as i can tell they still haven't decided the exact qualification path for Maybe because they know every semi-finalist is going to the World Cup, um, but how they just but because there's uh, six Asian teams, which would assuming Australia makes the semis, Australia plus the other three semi-finalists, uh, it's still undecided how they'll get and fill those remaining two spots. But so just keep an eye out for that. But yeah, I'm just looking forward to enjoying the tournament. I think Dale spoke about how he it's Iran's first time in the tournament and. He really wants to see how they go. Also, um, Indonesia haven't been in over thirty years, so uh, we'll see what they offer. We'll see what they have to offer. And I'm um, really, of course, there should be pressure because it's a continental tournament, and Australia should go in thinking they're a great chance of winning it. But I really just, you know, uh, want to kind of enjoy the whole tournament and learn some more about these nations that get uh, don't get as much uh, airtime. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting from a player management perspective as oh, yeah, well. And yes. we'll come on to talk about the, yes. the Women's Champions League soon, mm -hmm. but the Matildas and many other 
players from different nations have had a lot of football and how they actually mm. manage their way through and, and perform in that. Yep. I think, um, yeah, the Asian Cup will be very exciting to see. And I hope Paramount Plus do a great job together with Channel 10 to promote. Well, to promote it, I think they're doing pretty well, but hopefully the coverage is good. I'm still not overawed by Paramount and the fiddliness of casting or streaming to from a device to a TV. All right, next up in news, there's been a a lot of investment in Australian professional leagues, which is the group which manages the Liberty A-League and the Isuzu A-League, which are the women and men respectively, and the youth, I suppose. Um, 33% stake they have. They paid $140 million to APL, and and now they have uh, two APL and uh, Football Australia, I think, get some of that as well. They're a global leader in technology investing, but regardless of who they are, what they propose to do with that money, I think, is potentially to some extended growth in the Liberty A-League women's and the A-League youth competitions, which... We think about investment as a good thing, but I always get worried that investment just makes it look like, oh, let's get more teams in, which is not the answer. And I can't remember for how long I've personally harped on about it, but a full home and away season would really be something that accelerates the development of football in Australia, will bring more fans to the game as well, in my mind. Um, Throw it open to both of you, your thoughts about the investment. And if you had $140 million to invest in football, what part of that would go to women's football specifically and what would you like to see happen to the competition? Would you like to see uh, something for the Liberty A-League and potentially, I don't know whether or not it contributes to Football Australia running something similar to the FFA Cup for women? Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I guess it's been a little bit light on detail what investment actually means on the ground. So um, I, I, I guess that it's... Uh, welcome news that there's there's more money uh, in the game to invest, uh, and I guess for and like most fans, and I'm the same as you, Cheryl. For me, the number one priority for the professional game, for the women's game, is that full home and away season. Uh, you, you can invest more in pathways and and second tiers, but if the top tier isn't something that can sustain and develop our best players, uh, whether that be that then it's a launching pad to send them to the very best leagues in, in the world over in Europe. But if, if we can't develop a, a top, top level competition in our own country that sustains uh, you know, players past their teenage years so that they don't have to choose between working and playing football, that they can have a year round environment with their clubs to develop their game uh, and, and develop their games as professionals, uh, I think that's the the number one priority for for the women's game is to get that full home and away, maybe even more than full home and away, if I'm going to be honest. If we've got, you know, 12 12 teams or so, I'm I'm thinking three, four rounds um, to get a really decent number of games to, to one, make, you know, make the the competition fairer, having the same, playing the same teams the same amount of times. Uh, and providing greater stability and professional development opportunities for for players in the top tier. 
bit easier to recover from a slow start as well, which Brisbane would be, and not just Brisbane. I mean, so many clubs have been in that situation where they've not necessarily made the fast start that they needed to because of the length of the preseason, the availability of players coming into the league. So there's such a big picture. Um, Eric, your thoughts on on all of that big picture as well. Sorry, poor guy's just taking a drink. (laughs) Bad timing on my part. Okay, so yeah, Madge makes a good point about wanting more than full home and away, if that makes sense. Because, um, yeah, with well, okay, with a ten-team comp, if you have a double round robin, that's eighteen games. Well, they'll still plus need plus finals. So, what another two or three for the lucky ones? So, really, you'd need in such a league, they'd need to fill the gap between seasons with well NPL, which is. I think similar to the situation now, they might just be joining the NPL comps a, a bit later on after the start of the season. So yeah, it would be wonderful. And if I'm not a numbers guy, I'm not a finance guy, but I think a triple round Robin in a 12 team comp, that's what's that 33 games. That's a full season. And if we can strive towards that, then it would really help everything that we've spoken about. It links into, well, a lot of things like the, it would solve a lot of the issues in the performance gap report that came out last year and which um, I think, was pretty much the first thing Tony Gustafson was shown when he um, got taken when he took uh, over as head coach of the Matildas. If the league is that long, then basically you need the league to be that long before you can have a women's FFA Cup because as um, basically with the current situation, you have, well, NPL New South Wales provides the the A-League women with 45% of its players. So... It doesn't work until the um, A-League, A-League women is full home and away and full-time pro so that, um, yeah, they can actually run that run that competition instead of having, well, as I joked on Twitter, which I don't think everyone got, uh, I want to see Sydney Olympic play Sydney FC, the joke being that like eight of Olympic starters from this NPL season play for Sydney FC and there's a something a similar situation with Illawarra Stingrays and Western Sydney Wanderers and you could even say Brisbane Roar and Lions FC these days now that I think about it so um yeah just once you if you have like such a a competition of that length it opens up so much more in terms of youth development in terms of uh yeah opportunities for the developing players players not having to miss games due to work such as what happened to Teresa Plyas last season etc etc um another oh, another cop competition as i just mentioned um also one really obscure thing that i just thought of um and thanks to Stefan i know he's listening this is something random i remembered from his Carly Rusback in peace she to- she spoke about um the preparations for the 2019 AFC under 19 championship with the- and the young matildas were only able to play one preparation game Against Sydney FC before going, and uh, let's not talk about how that competition ended for them. A longer season with more teams also means potentially that there's more viable opponents for our youth national teams in the lead up to um, such tournaments. They don't have to search for whatever boys teams are around because uh, really it's just, it's it's been known for a while because we haven't made a underage World Cup since uh, I think Leah Blaney's young Matilda's generation in 2006. It really is a big flaw in our development program that we just, that these players are are coming through, this sounds harsh, despite the system, because there's a lot of flaws in it when you look at our uh, underage results. 
Yep. And yeah. then we're losing sort of the older players because, you know, old, they end up having to make decisions about, you know, their working and professional lives. Uh, do I continue the football grind trying to work in around work because, you know, there isn't a, a strong enough professional base to keep them in the game. And then that and then that has knock-on effects to not providing the competition that we need for our younger players coming in. So the league can't just be a young players league. We need to also provide those incentives for to keep uh, players into the game, you know, into well into their 30s, um, to provide a really strong base and a competitive base to test and develop our younger players uh, in, into national team setups. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing I want to say about you make a good point about uh, manage about uh, trying to keep players into their 30s. And I think of players like Nicola Orgill, who made her A-League women National League debut at the age of 23. And like honestly, she it's when you watch a place, she's almost like a completely different person, how much she's developed since her uh, debut, which I th- uh, in the national comp, which I believe was for Western Sydney Wanderers. And that's our pathway, which, well, it's kind of not taking middle and late bloomers into account, such as Jesse Rashard, for example. Mm-hmm. So Erica Holloway is another one. So yeah, once you open that up, just yeah, once you have a longer comp, so many other things open up for uh, women's football in Australia. Okay. Well, Silver Lake, give us a call if you need any thoughts about how to spend that money, although it's probably gone off to APL and they'll work it out. But certainly the fans and the the people working in the media have some opinions of how it could work as well as the players. But let's talk about the dub. Round three has just come and gone. I only managed to see one match, so I'm hopeful that I can hand over some of the hard work for the rest of it to Madge and Eric. Mm-hmm. Talk us talk us through the first match between the Wanderers and the Jets. I'd love to. Let me get my notes. Just bear. My, I've got. I've have a gut feeling of frustration from watching that game. Um, yes. It was. I think there were a lot. Of, actually, I think even I. I found a stats site. So. Um, Excellent. Share. I will, sure, I'll send the link to you. But, um, yeah, lots of chances for both teams, and um, but some great saves, but some really frustrating misses as well. So uh, I think Western Sydney absolutely deserved um, their equaliser. They were pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, but if we, if we go back to the first goal, um, Newcastle Jets, uh, who was it, Jake Jabor, an absolute rocket. Yeah, Jabor, uh, yep. An absolute rocket of a goal, um, which was a, a beautiful shot. Um, you just have to watch it. It was in between the uh, the, the box and, and the and the halfway line. It just took off into the top of the net. Um, and you know, um, the goalkeeper wasn't even that far off a line, but uh, it just rocketed into the back of the net. But then Western Sydney, to their credit, they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. But some really frustrating misses from. Um, um, from from Gallic, I think he was. Um, oh, sorry, Galia, who has just um, skied a couple of really good chances at then Newcastle as well. Sonny Franco um, missed missed a, a really good opportunity to uh, to get them back into the lead. So it was frustrating but entertaining game. Yes, uh, I also love with uh, Tiana Jaber's goal the shimmy that she put on to beat the defender. I won't say who the defender is because I think there's actually a reasonable chance that her mother listens to this podcast. So, yeah, but yeah, what a goal by Tiana Jaber. And then I think with Newcastle, um, whatever 
the opposite of game management is, they did it because there was a chance for them to slow things down and, you know, see out the, basically see things out and get the result. And they didn't do any of that. And so the Wanderers came back into it. And uh, you mentioned all the chances, Madge. I'd love to see the expected goals for this one because it could have been a game that finished four all. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, back at the Wanderers getting the end, all my, all my manifesting worked. And uh, it was actually a nice build up with, I think, two headed passes from Henry and then she- Riley Henry and then Sheridan Gallagher. And then Ashley Crofts, who plays NPL next door to Wanderers headquarters, literally. Uh, for Blacktown Spartans and has uh, basically lived in the Blacktown area all her life. She scored in a Wanderers debut, which was fantastic. Um, and then the thing is, there was like about six chances. That was in the 90th minute. There were about six chances after that goal. Yeah. So it was just a very odd game. I'm just uh, looking I, at the stats here now. It's like Western Sydney had 20 shots. Newcastle had 14 shots. Yep. So it was... Um, How I'm many like- of those were in the last minute? Yeah. <laughs> la- last five minutes. It, it, it was hectic. Yeah. And uh, also I also noticed there's a fun fact. The game was, of course, played in the Blacktown area of Western Sydney. Tiana Jaber and Ashley Crofts both played junior football for Glenwood Redbacks, one of the largest community clubs in the Blacktown area. So you absolutely love to see it. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, fun facts could be a new segment that we just dedicate to Eric because I'm sure yes. he has all of this. Although, to be fair, I think Dale would be pretty good at some fun facts as well. He would be, well. yes. So there you go, a new segment for you coming next time around. The match that I did see was between Brisbane Raw and Melbourne Victory. It was a 3-2 win to Melbourne Victory. Uh, Madge, I'm assuming you're at the ground and, and reasonably warm? Yeah, it, it was a hot day. Um, at least had a little bit of a sea breeze coming in um, on the peninsula there. Um, yeah, look, I mean, an, another frustrating game for Brisbane. I wouldn't say that they it felt like they deserved the win. I mean, I think... I think victory took their chances and, and Brisbane, again, it was nice to see them get on the scoreboard uh, and their first goal was really nice. Um, Jesse Rashart sort of absolutely putting a beautiful ball through to Shea Connors who uh, put the ball away. Um, but again, it was, I mean, Melbourne victory, I think they looked, they, they did look vulnerable um, at the back and, and a bit hectic at times. So I, I think if you're other teams in the competition, um, you'd be taking a bit of heart, I think, from, from seeing that, you know, victory weren't necessarily sort of as dominant as I think a lot of people thought they might be against this Brisbane team. Um, but again, Brisbane just, you know, they, they weren't able to take their chances. Um, there was a great opportunity for uh, Anna McGrath uh, early, early in the game. If she had slotted that away, uh, it may have been a different story with with the momentum, but I mean, Lynn Williams was uh, just you know clinical, beautiful, uh, and I thought Harriet Withers put in some a really good game. Um, that a beautiful cross into Williams for um, for that for their first headed goal. Um, yeah, but I think it name of the game was yeah victory took their chances uh, and Brisbane got a few of theirs, but not quite enough. Victory just had that that edge in the um, in the attacking in the attacking half. Which sees them, I think, second on the ladder at the moment. We haven't talked mm. about the ladder at the moment, and we we won't just for a little while. But for me, 
watching that game, it was quite interesting. It was really tight. I think 3-1 is maybe a reasonable number. But when you – and I did have a look at some stats that I found on Keep Up and I was having a look at a couple of the players. But what the stats don't always show you is the work off the ball. And I, I don't know your thoughts if you agree or not, but I, I think Larissa Crummer, the amount of work that she does in, in trying to press the teams and, and pressure them – to force some turnovers. I think it's been brilliant. She may or may not get lots of touches. She may or may not be accurate on those, or she may or may not be having shots on goal. But I think the work that Larissa is doing off the ball, definitely commendable um, and great to see her back as, as well. I know she's been back for a little while. It's not like her first day back or anything like that, but yeah, great work. Eric, your thoughts on the game? Oh, raw victory. Um, it was interesting. Shea Connors, a nice goal and, um, she looked threatening. I thought that could be an interesting thing for the teams uh, playing Vic that are yet to play victory, that maybe if you got some speed, and I'm thinking specifically of Canberra United here because they have so much speed in their front line, might be a way to get at victory. Of course, we've spoken about uh, they've lost Kayla Morrison and you know how they have to adjust to that. But uh, yeah, I mean, victory, I think, has, has been said I think I'm probably just stealing this from the far post, to be honest. Victory is going to is the kind of team to win high scoring games, like what we saw on Saturday. There's not going to be many clean sheets, but you're probably not going to keep a clean sheet against them either. And uh, for Brisbane, I, think, I mean, we, we all know how they've unlucky they've been, but that first win's coming pretty soon because they are playing uh, very well. Well, I mean, like, well, just mentioned that Canberra don't have any points as well. Of course, they've had yeah. their game against Perth yeah. uh, postponed. So it's um, not on the same amount of games played that, but we play next. So um, Brisbane are yes. playing Canberra in Canberra. So both teams will be desperate for uh, some points on the board and hopefully three points they'll both be fighting hard for. So it should be a good mm. one, I think. Putting you on, on the spot a little bit there, Madge, but you've got an orangish kind of top. Is that anything that's an ode to Brisbane? or It is a raw core shirt. Oh, there you go. We've got a raw core shirt. So they're doing a great job out there. Um, maybe if we can go somewhat quickly, not completely quickly, but through Melbourne City against mm-hmm. Adelaide and Sydney versus Wellington, just so we've got plenty of time to go quickly around the world, but also to give a big shout out to our Queens of the Week later. I'll I guess my babbling. thoughts on Melbourne City was Hannah Wilkinson finally getting on on the scoreboard, which is good to see for them, I think. So to answer um, Cheryl's most important questions, full game for Tori Tumith, sub-appearance for Darcy Malone. Now onto the actual analysis, and I think Madge was starting to say this. It's kind of the game Hannah Wilkinson was threatening to have in the first two games. So she, good to see she finally got the two goal. Yeah, but I, so I think City are, are looking pretty good. I think some people had thought they uh, weren't really rating them a lot, but I think they're, they're trucking along okay this season and they're putting themselves in a good position to make that final four um at the moment and if yeah if Wilkinson can um you know start banging them in um for Adelaide I think um Annalie Grove had some really good saves there were a couple of really good saves during the game that um that I was impressed with but uh and the um the Policina um goal was was a really nice one as well uh, into the top right-hand corner. I think the third goal as well, nice little cameo from Letitia McKenna because mm. uh, that was, I think, Melbourne City tried the high press in the dying minutes as Adelaide were trying to build one final attack. Tori Trimuth wins the ball. Lovely curling cross from Letitia McKenna. Didn't even bother beating the defender, just curled it rounder. And then the a typical strikers finish from Hannah Wilkinson for the clinching goal. Also, uh, Fiona Wurtz has been 
great for Adelaide this season, I thought. Uh, she looked dangerous again. Uh, could really have gotten to the score sheet. And that that left foot, I mean, Fiona Wurtz reminds me of that saying, all left foot goals are beautiful. So I'm pretty sure she's going to score a couple, a few beautiful goals before this season's done. Yeah, there was one really nice shot that she took that uh, really took Barbieri by um, yeah. by surprise. And um, from and it was absolutely just a surprise slot uh, shot. Let's have a go at it. And yeah. Um, yeah, Barbieri, it was difficult, but she batted it away. But um, she yeah. had a bit of a, a wry yeah. smile um, yeah. after batting that one away. It was yeah. a yes, agree. Wurtz has been great this season. All right. And any final thoughts from the last match of the round as well, which was between Sydney and I've changed my show notes and I can't read. Oh, it was Wellington, Sydney, Wellington. Do tell. Uh, yes. So first thing, um, these summer doubleheaders with the um, 4 p.m. kickoff for the first game need to go in the bin because I think that's um, it's basically, especially for Paul Wellington, who A, are for most of the squads from New Zealand and B, they hadn't actually had any hot day since they got over here. So they, it was really tough for them in the conditions. It was tough for everyone, but even more so for Wellington. Uh, But still they did, they're the kind of team. They're really, um, I think they were more aggressive and they reacted well to uh, what Gemma Lewis said last week after they lost to the Jets. We gave them too much respect. They definitely made it uh, hard for Sydney and they're very organized. It wasn't, just a case of Sydney FC trying to pick their way through. But uh, yeah, Sydney FC's quality up front, of course. Courtney Vine getting on the score sheet again, which I absolutely love. I also love a first A-League women goal for Charlie Rule, like a tap-in, but they all count. And she um, read that deflection better than anyone else. And also Mackenzie Hawksby, who's basically um, gone from Sydney Sydney FC squatty to a key midfielder in the space of less than two seasons. That's been brilliant she scored it was a nice finish after a very well-timed run Hawksby always times her run as well um and yeah other than that uh what else for Wellington uh Kate Taylor times her slide tackles absolutely beautifully like they're just uh so clean and you can see why she's 18 but she's the vice captain and uh Alyssa Wynnum looked had some lovely touches like uh that I think that early chance where she um sent two Sydney FC defenders to the shops and then but then kind of hesitated and tried to pass when she could have shot maybe. But, you know, you, you we'll see plenty of uh, Alyssa Wynnum before the season's out, I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that, Eric. We'll just quickly talk about the table. And at the top of the table, we have Sydney on nine points and Melbourne Victory on nine points as well. The only two teams who are undefeated. At the other end of the table, we have Brisbane Raw, uh, zero points from three games, but have been playing pretty okay I think as we mentioned earlier it's it's not all going against them what I will say and I won't go through the whole table but what I will say is that for Wellington I actually think that first point that they got in round one is actually quite important as the season goes on because I I think the pressure builds Mm -hmm. to try and get a point and I think for Canberra and Brisbane they're probably likely to be able to recover from those Mm -hmm. positions Mm -hmm. they've got lots of experience but for Wellington brand new team in the league and it's really difficult difficult to establish a new team from scratch from, you know, I mean, we, we see, is it Casey Stoney at the moment? She's been mm. in the U S trying to prepare for a team to come into the NWSL for quite a while now, but Wellington seemed to almost just bubble and it was cooked and ready. So for them to have a point already, I think it's a, a really great effort. For the matches that we get to see next round, and I'll just have a look. We have the return of Thursday night football. 
two matches, Canberra United against Brisbane Raw, 5 o'clock or 5.05 on Thursday night, Adelaide United against Perth Glory, 5.05 Thursday night as well. So they're at the same time. Then we've got football between another derby between Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City on Sunday, the 26th of December. And then on Monday, we see Sydney against the Western Sydney Wanderers. And again on Monday, we'll have Wellington against the Newcastle Jets. So it should be pretty interesting, I think, running into running into there. And we've got, uh, there was a signing, even though we're, Eric, I don't know if you want to take us through the signings, but even though we're into yeah. round three, we're still seeing players turn up. There's always signings. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I've been annoyed at this. Like some of them, I, some of them I understand because they're in response to things happening. I do wonder about some of the other signings. Perhaps they could have been announced earlier, but anyway, uh, the return of Dylan Holmes to Adelaide and yeah, that they'll need that because as good as their midfield is, they they do miss a player like uh, Dylan Holmes just with her, you know, her energy and her, um, you know, endless running and the the quality she brings. And despite uh, Dylan not being a regular starter at uh, BK Heck, and I think she would still have learned a lot being in that environment. Raw have signed a couple of youngsters. Heidi Dennis is a defender from QAS, maybe. Yes, yes. yes so she's very young. She's yes. Very young. She is. Oh. Yeah, saw her play. Um, she was so she's been a train on player, I think, for for a while. So she mm-hmm. was playing for the Raw in our in our preseason game, and really impressed, to be honest. And I think she's also um, signed up for the Queensland Reds rugby yes. um, development squad as well. And it shows oh. she's definitely shows. an imposing ah, strong yes. defender. So, Does that mean that we'll see some some yellow cards or, or more? I oh, hope wow. so. Uh, like. Isn't that the point of signing someone with a rugby background? Like, just quite possibly. Mm-hmm. All right, and then other other signings that we have yeah. there, Eric. A couple uh, more. Raw also signed another youngster, Isabella Shuttleworth. Also been through QES, but I believe this year was with Lions FC. She's a goalkeeper. Yeah, she's been with the Lions FC for yeah. a couple of seasons yeah. now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then injury replacement. Um, and this is something that's delighted the people down in Victoria because uh, Francesca Yermano, a midfielder, she's been signed as an injury replacement. Um, they said she's apparently been killing it down there, according to people that know much better than myself. Is interesting. I do wonder if they are they going to sign another defender, or are they just going to try and whip, do the double with three specialist defenders in their squad? We'll see. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the UEFA Women's Champions League. So group stage, match day six, which is the actual last effort of the match days. And then actually mm-hmm. tonight, so Monday night, the 20th of December, mm-hmm. there will be the quarterfinal and semifinal draw. Mm-hmm. We now know the eight teams who remain. The results, I'll just whiz through them and then we might pause and, and talk about um, one of the results. In, well, maybe a couple of the results. No surprise for me, at least, that Leon defeated Hucken for nil so Leon with Ellie Carpenter Hacken with um, Dylan Holmes who was not there but that's okay Hoffenheim had a 4-1 victory over Arsenal which to me is a surprise so Steph Catley Caitlin Ford, Lydia Williams all getting some game time there. Wolfsburg had a 4-0 victory over Chelsea and for me this is probably the one to talk about a little bit. Sam Kerr obviously plays for Chelsea. And then the last match, Juventus had a 4-0 victory over Servette. With Servette, we have Tessa Tamplin there, who played for Newcastle Jets last season. But Juventus is actually coached by Joe Montemiro, who has had a history. He's a Melbourne boy, a Northcote boy, and he's coached not only Melbourne City, but also Melbourne Victory. So 
yeah, thoughts on and the Arsenal. games. So, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's correct. He did coach Arsenal as well and maybe was a catalyst for a lot of the Aussies to head to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Now that we've got um, some, uh, some visibility of coaching for Chelsea for some Aussies, maybe mm-hmm. you'll see more Aussies going there in the mm-hmm. future. But for me, the match to talk about, or two matches to talk about specifically, I think mm-hmm. Arsenal blown away by Hoffenheim, but Arsenal top of the the Women's Super League in England. So they're really doing quite well, but yet against Hoffenheim, they were blown away. And then secondly, Wolfsburg defeated Chelsea 4-0. Really tough game for Chelsea. Thoughts on that? I think I'll defer to Madge here because she said she'd actually watch some of it. Oh, I I, I watched a few few of the um, the highlights, but I guess, I mean, mean, the question is, is that what's with the English team when it comes to... Um, European football, um, they both seem to be dropping the ball a little bit. I, I guess, at least with Arsenal, they, they're still through to the mm. uh, the knockout stages. So I think uh, they needed to avoid, I think, a 5-0 defeat. Um, oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think any... It, but Hoffenheim absolutely gave them a, um, a scare there. But, I mean, Chelsea, I think they only... They needed... They a could draw, have lost a draw or a narrow loss. A I narrow, think. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they really dropped the ball. And you've got to wonder about maybe the fatigue of some. I mean, they've mm-hmm. a lot of games. And, and, and sick. In particular. Yeah. And, yes. and sickness as well. So um, not to have too many excuses there. I mean, Wolfsburg are a great team. They're, they're former champions um, themselves. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, I guess it was a surprise. But it really just did look like Wolfsburg sort of tore them apart and, and Chelsea did not have much, um, didn't have much in, in, in return. There didn't look like there were many chances going that, going their way either. So um, surprising, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the next round brings. I mean, you, you've got to think Barcelona, Lyon uh, uh, are looking very good. And Juventus, of course, uh, are through to their first knockout round. Um, so there were great scenes uh, after Juventus's win over Servette um, at the ground, there they were just absolutely ecstatic that they've made it um, through to their first uh, knockout rounds of the Champions League. Uh, one of the questions I had was that as much as we're only up to the quarterfinals now, and the quarterfinals, the first and second legs don't start until sort of mid to late March. So that's when we'll see some more Champions League. But you can't go past Barcelona unless something goes mm. terribly wrong for them. And I think you're right for me. And I'm talking finals here, probably not quarterfinals, but based on form that I've seen so far, you can't go past Barcelona. And I think depending on how the draw goes, I think it's likely to be Leon. Yep. I mean, yeah. Or Just, even a PSG possibly. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It could be. Yeah, I, th- I think not PSG, but I'm not betting anything against you. Oh, look, I'm I not betting against Barcelona. I think Barcelona, uh, it, it'll be impressive, I think, if, if anyone can um, can curtail Barcelona's dominance. Yeah, all right, cool. And now hopefully we've got Eric with a strong uh, internet connection there. We're just uh, mm-hmm. Eric, did you want to walk us through the Conti Cup results? Uh, yes, Conti Cup. So for the teams with evolving Australians, as I get a message saying my internet connection is unstable again. Um, so Manchester City's issues with uh, COVID, their Conti Cup game against Leicester City was postponed. However, for 
West Ham United with Mackenzie Arnold and Tamika Yallop. They had a 3-0 win over Brighton. Emily Gilnick's Aston Villa lost 1-0 to Blackburn Rovers. And Kaya Simon's Tottenham Hotspur defeated Coventry United 3-2. So then would I be going on to the FAWSL? FAWSL, of course, as I just mentioned, there's been COVID issues, unfortunately. So Manchester City versus Reading postponed, affecting Alana Kendi and Haley Rasso. Also, Arsenal Brighton postponed, as well as Chelsea West Ham. So very a lot of Aussies um, affected there, and catch-up games need to be played. Um, not happy times for Emily Gilnick's Aston Villa. She played. She started and played 80 minutes, but Aston Villa lost five nil to a very rampant. Manchester United, so they're um, finding some good form. And in that sense, the Christmas break probably coming at the wrong time for them. Then the other result involving an Aussie, although Kaya Simon didn't play, Tottenham Hotspur defeated 1-0 to Everton. For our friends from across the ditch, Rhea Percival played a full game for uh, Tottenham. And the other result, no Aussies involved, but I would like to point it out in the uh, relegation battles history, Leicester City's first points and first win in the FAWSL. They defeated Birmingham City 2-0. Leicester City off the bottom of the table and Birmingham City replaced them in in last place with only one point so fast. So it's uh, not looking good for Birmingham City, unfortunately, because they have been, you know, contributed so much to the WSL over the years. But Leicester City being rewarded for their uh, recent investment in their women's team. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Then elsewhere, I mean, it's um, elsewhere and uh, non-Nordic Europe, if you may call it, um, pretty much breaks. So Scottish Women's Premier League on a break till 17th of January. French First Division and Italian Serie A on a break till the 16th of January. There was... Uh, one Aussie's team in action, Amy Harrison's PSV Eindhoven in the Netherlands defeated Ardo Den Haag by two goals to one. I'm not sure if she played. And if you give me, actually, no, I don't have time to figure it out. She did. She was subbed on, but I can't remember at what okay, time subbed she was on. subbed okay, on. She got, so she got, got some, some game, game time. time, which is good okay. because I think the more mm. game time for Amy, the better. Yes. Welcome, welcome Stefan to the podcast yes. as well. Just in time, he sits there stalking us and watching us yes. to give us a little bit of an update um, in the world of the, the Nordic lands, but also then returning to Canberra to give us an update. Welcome, Stefan. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's been a busy little pod, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so just some news in Sweden. Um, there's been a, a new agreement signed between the national teams, between uh, the men's and the women's national team. It's the first time it's been, they've had a joint agreement. So uh, like in many things in the Nordic countries, leading the way with, uh, with equality and social sort of um, forward advances. So it's nice to see. So the agreement features equal compensation and has specific Provisions linked to both insurance for injuries and support for parenthood. So, uh, yeah, uh, really, really good to see. So, well done. Well done, Sweden. Over, yeah. in, over in Denmark, we uh, we now have dates for their unique system whereby they they play their, uh, their league games in one calendar year and then have their finals and relegation series uh, in the next calendar year after a, quite a long break. So, we now know that, that in late uh, March... They will be playing um, their championship group games, which consists of um, just the, four, the top four teams. Uh, Fortuna Hearing, which with a bunch of Aussies, is one of those four teams. And they get a bit of a leg up with their starting points because of how they did in the season where they finished second. And the day after, on the 27th of March, the relegation group commences, which consists of six teams 
including uh, Jenna McCormick's AGF, and they all start on zero points. That's a little different. So um, the in the relegation group, the top two teams stay in the elite division, and in the championship um, group, they just play to see who the champion is, and then they kick off their season again a bit later. And as you recall, last season, they were the last um, Nordic competition to commence. So this is probably why. And um, finally, down in Canberra, a couple of things happening here. Um, Cam- Capital Football announced uh, last NPL season a, uh, an initiative to close a, a, a payment gap between for referees refereeing um, NPLW versus NPL. There's a $22 difference last season. And they tried to put that initiative in last season, but were unable to run their referee training courses due to COVID to get enough referees to make that happen. So now they've been able to run those uh, courses and they have uh, referee numbers up again. That will be happening this this season. So all the referees here will be getting paid the same, which is how it should be, right? It's just fantastic. Um, Absolutely. And you've got some great referees there as well, women referees. So shout out to all the referees, but shout out to the women referees who have been doing it for less. And And uh, now won't have to. Most notably, A-League women referees, uh, well, Delfina Demoski and Georgia Ghirardello. I don't know if there's others, but those are the two that come to mind straight away. Yep, yep, leading the way here. So it's uh, really good to see. Good initiative. And secondly, um, Canberra Croatia have announced in the NPLW here that their uh, left back, experienced left back, Alice Churchill, um, is returning for an incredible 12th season with the club in the top flight. Um, So she made her senior debut as a 16-year-old. And, uh, yeah, just fantastic to see you back in the league. And she has the delightful nickname of Fluff, which I found out during, during this, um, this uh, announcement. So uh, really nice to see. So well done, Fluff. Sounds brilliant. I love it. On your, on your Fluff. All right, on to Queens of the Week, and we better get cracking. Eric, is there any surprise your Queen of the Week is, is that you're leading me astray that, with the pre-work that you've done? Yes, there, there's no, there's no thinking with my queen of the week. Why would there be? So my queen of the week is the queen of Blacktown, Ashley Crofts. As we had covered earlier, uh, Wanderers were trailing one nil to the Jets uh, when she, in their game at Wanderers Centre of Football, she came on at halftime. She scored a 90th minute equaliser with um, a lovely lob over the Jets goalkeeper, rescuing a point, scoring on a debut of the club. That makes her uh, my queen of the week and. Once again, children, uh, for any of the young ones that are listening, uh, manifesting always works. You know, I always like uh, a good bit of acting. So my Queen of the Week is going to Courtney Vine uh, in the lead up to the first goal for Sydney on the weekend. She, um, she burned past the defender uh, and taking it along, along the, um, the, the touchline there. She gave a good act of like, I've got no one to pass the ball to. And then just slotted it past the the keeper. Um, it was it was great. It was it was a good little bit of acting. If you want to go back and look at that one, so she had a great game. She um she was yeah burning her defenders all game. So um, I'll give it to uh, Courtney Vine this week. Sounds very sneaky. What about you, Stefan? Yeah, just on the back of what what everyone on the pod earlier said about the um, the results in the Champions League, the German teams doing so well. I watched uh, the second half of the Wolfsburg game against um, Chelsea and I was, again, blown away by how how great they play. And I watched a bit of their league uh, last year, but I remember having conversations with Molly Appleton about the Bundesliga, the Frauen Bundesliga, and how how good it is to watch. And 
we don't often talk about them here because there's not that many Aussies in the in the comp. Uh, well, haven't been recently, but I can certainly recommend it. He says wearing his Hamburg jersey. Um, that's they don't have a, a you know women's team in the, in that comp, but um, yeah, really high quality. And I don't think um, I mean that I think those constantly surprise pundits about how well they do, and they shouldn't because they're ranked really highly. Um, but yeah, when we see results like this, it, it makes you uh, makes you wonder what, why not more people are talking about them really. So uh, well done to the um, to the Frauen Bundesliga and and uh, you know the top teams in particular, just absolutely killing it. That's a um, fair point. Sorry, keep going. I was just going to say, if you want to find out a bit more about the um, about the competition, there, there's a really good YouTube video about Bayern Munich um, and how. Um, their last 50 years and how they were uh, set up from not being allowed to play in 1970 because they weren't allowed to wear cleats because uh, they thought it was an unsafe thing. Um, so when they got through that, they've had now 50 years in the competition and there's a nice little history around the, the German competition uh, in that YouTube video as well. So it's called We Were True Pioneers, How Bayern Munich Changed Women's Football in Germany. So I can recommend that. Thank you very much. I think that's one I haven't seen, so I'll jump in and have a look. Interestingly, with Wolfsburg, actually, that there we have had Aussies play there, and I can't remember, was it KK who played there or Emily yep. Van Egg? Van Egg. Van Egg. And, and also, I think, was it not Peniel Harder was playing there not yes. that long ago? So There was, as, and then she went to Chelsea, much... and Wolfsburg knocked Chelsea out of the Champions League. Yeah, so whilst <laughs> they, they made... Play for um, Tabina Potsdam. That's correct. Thank you very much. So, yeah, definitely well worth a watch. Uh, and some homework that uh, Dale had done beforehand, he's given a shout-out, King of the Week, to Joe Montemuro. Ju Juventus have eight points clear of the top of the Serie A and now is the only manager in the club's history to qualify for the Women's Champions League quarterfinals, and he did it with a week to spare. The final is actually in Juventus, I think, as well, although I could be making that up. Plus, he's also nominated a Joker of the Week for COVID-19, which has impacted not only the Champions League, but also a number of games in the Women's Super League. And now we come to my final Queens of the Week. So I've picked Emma Hayes, which is going to be odd, and the Wellington Phoenix women, which again, may be a little bit odd. The reason I pick Emma is that I think she's acknowledged the impact of football, professional football on the players. And, and for me, these players are humans and I really like that element and paying attention to the human but she also talks about the cost of playing in the Champions League being away from families the compression of games so shout out to Emma for acknowledging that and a bit of a queen of the week for you also to Wellington Phoenix women I alluded to it a little while ago in earlier in the pod where I said it's a brand new team and usually when you get a brand new team you get quite a lot of time to put it together and I think they've they've jumped in with all of their heart up front. They got a point in the first game. They've probably looked, um, whilst I haven't seen the games, but the highlights a little bit underdone or um, competition is just so hard for them. So I just want to give a shout out to them to say, we acknowledge the hard work that you're doing, or I certainly acknowledge the hard work that you're doing. Keep at it. Uh, you're looking great and you'll definitely get better. So great to see you out there and it'll be really good for women's football in, in Australia and New Zealand as well. Thank you all very much for listening to us. Thank you to my co-host for joining me on the pod and doing their homework as always. And thank you to anyone who enables us to talk about football. But on behalf of me and everyone at the Beyond 90 team, thank you very much and see you later. Mm -hmm.